Hello, and welcome to I Forgot to Tell You Something, the podcast here to give you hugs and sometimes help when life and ADHD collide. I'm Liz, coming to you from Sydney, and I'm here with my good friend Ron, ADHD coach, advocate, speaker, content superstar, and all-round good time. And I'm here in LA shooting the shit with my friend Liz, ADHD coach, mom, and general support crew to people figuring out life with ADHD. We really appreciate that you're trusting us, and we just want to chuck in a little disclaimer. No two experiences of ADHD are the same. And we're speaking from our own lived experiences, our reading, and the vast wealth of knowledge generously shared by our ADHD coaching clients. Look, we're not doctors. We don't know you. We invite you, though, to keep a spirit of curiosity as you listen to us. And so if you have questions about your own experience or about things that we've talked about, talk to your doctor about it. Hello. Hello, Ron. Hey, Liz. How you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you. How about you? I'm okay. I'm, I'm a little burnt out, but you know, I'm here. I'm, I'm on the upswing. Let's just say that. Well, you've had a big couple of weeks, conference, going yeah. to a wedding. Mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, went to another, like, and then the day we got back from the wedding this last weekend, went to another thing that we had to go to. So the last two days, I've just been recharging nice yeah what do you do to recharge shit i play video games i go to the park with my dog and i go to the climbing gym which i haven't done yet so i'm sitting here going like that's the piece that's missing so i need to do that tomorrow i'm gonna do that the power of verbal processing. I know, right? I'm like, fuck. There we I'm go. Really, really dropping the ball on that. But yeah, otherwise, I'm good. I'm feeling much better. It was a whole heap of fun, too. So it's not like, I mean, it was draining, but fun. Oh, excellent. Yeah. I mean, when we when we texted last week, when you were on the way to the wedding, mm-hmm. saying, oh, I'm so tired. I'm so burnt out. I was like. Party Ron better show up because I believe you have a reputation for being the first to take your tie off and to lead the dance floor. I didn't even put a tie on. That's how not ready I was. I know, mind-blowing. It was a pretty chill wedding. It was was my brother-in-law and they, they did a small wedding at the courthouse in Santa Barbara. Super fun. So... It was, oh, nice. it was a little calmer, but but still, I felt like I wasn't myself a little bit, right? Like meeting other people was harder. That that's where I think it gets it starts to get hard for me. It's like I just I don't mind hanging out with people I know, but people that I don't know, it's like ugh, I have to like talk to you uh, and ask you about your life and remember your name. Like, oh, yeah. And tell me, (laughs) what do you do, Jonathan? My name's James, but that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then it's like, I feel like it's part work too, because then people ask what I do. And they're always just like, oh, that's cool. Tell me about that. And they're like, I don't feel like it right now. I'm done. Oh, uh, yeah. I, that's funny, actually. I always feel a bit weird when, um, the what do you do question comes up Mm -hmm. and I say, I'm an ADHD coach and I'm just waiting for 
you know, the onslaught of predictable reactions. Right. Or like problematic things that people say. I know. <laughs> it's, yeah. The, the, the one at the moment tends to be, oh, every, that's really on trend at uh, the moment. <laughs> man. If, yeah. if you could just punch someone in the face and get away with it, I think I would do it for those types of moments, right? Or the whole, uh, like, well, everyone's got a little ADHD, and I'm just like, I am i can't have this conversation with you right now. It just takes so no. much energy because yeah. you're dealing with one person, and you're trying to it's, – it's like the thing you hate the most, like, coming at you. And you're like, the amount of effort that it's going to take – for me to change your perspective is just not worth it at the end of the day because it won't even change your perspective. It might like alter it a little bit, but God, it's so exhausting. Yeah, so exhausting. Having said that, the thing that just came to my mind is imagine what it's like to be at a wedding and say, I'm a banker. I'm an investment banker. <laughs> and, People are like, cool. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, they're like, oh, so you must be a really laid back, compassionate person <laughs> that I really want to be friends with. You know, maybe we all judge yeah, a little bit. No, it's true. We do. Yeah. I think I I heard this one time where I don't know if it's Amer they said it was Americans that do this compared to Europeans. And so correct me if I'm wrong on this, but that when we meet people in America it's right away, what do you do for a living? And everywhere else mm -hmm. in the world, it's different. And it's not mm -hmm. necessarily about that. It's like, tell me about yourself. And yeah, I don't know. Is that how it is in Australia? Well, I mean, America and Europe are the only two continents in the world. They are. So. They are. That's why I was asking <laughs> you what it was like in Australia. Look, here in America... There's there's us and everyone else. That is our mindset, and that's going to be our totally. mindset forever. So. I know. I'm taking the piss, Ron. I'm taking the what piss. What is taking the piss? Um, like making fun. Oh, okay. I'm joshing. I'm teasing. All right, all right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. It depends, in, it depends where you are in Australia. Actually, I don't really hang out with that. Uh, move in circles where people are asking what you do for a living that much okay. yeah I think mostly I meet people and they're like how close to menopause are you like <laughs> that's kind of what me and my friends are talking about nice yeah yeah anyway Ron mm. how's your imposter syndrome today Fuck. it's okay it's okay <laughs> I would say on a scale of like one to oh my god Everybody knows I'm a fucking fraud. It's probably at like a four. So it's it's on the, okay. the better side of things. How about you? Okay. Awesome. Ooh. I don't know. I feel like anytime we're recording a podcast, which is a very new venture, I'm feeling right in it. Okay. But that's what we're talking about today. Yeah. God, that was a smooth introduction. God, we nailed it. Should we just be done? Can we just Ooh, call it? Yeah. I... I I think that this will be held up as an example of like how to podcast. Amazing. I yeah, think we should submit totally. this for something. But anyway, imposter syndrome. Um, Liz, what, well, what's your definition of imposter syndrome? Well, 
Should we start with the scientific one that we Googled before? <laughs> sure. Give me the scientific <laughs> definition of imposter. Or do you want me to give you okay. the scientific yeah. definition? Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Since I have wow. it up on my screen. We're nailing it. Best practices in podcasting. Listen, everyone, you heard the perfect transition and it's all downhill from here. So if you want yeah. to just call it, that's fine. Actually, let's just woo for a second. Yeah. Okay. So... Today, we are talking about imposter syndrome. It's something that everybody experiences, and it's something that is very potent to the ADHD experience as well. Absolutely. I think it's it's many things that are ADHD-related that we associate with ADHD, even things that aren't ADHD symptoms, or even things that are ADHD symptoms, are the human experience just turned up a notch a lot of times with ADHDers. So it's not like, you know, RSD or imposter syndrome or forgetfulness or any of these things are not just things that ADHD or struggle with. It's kind of everyone. But I think imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. especially, I think a lot of people relate to it. So anyway, without further ado, imposter syndrome (laughs) refers to a persistent psychological pattern where individuals despite external evidence of their competence and accomplishments, harbor an internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud or feeling unworthy of their success. Liz, break that down in layman's terms. What does that feel like for you? Well, I think the clue there is that it's those feelings of self-doubt and inadequacy, despite evidence that you have the skills and the competence and a background of accomplishments that totally qualify you to be doing the thing that you're doing, right? Yeah. So there's a difference between, you know, I think that we hear people say, oh, I have imposter syndrome when they're doing something for the first time Mm -hmm. that they might not have, well, by virtue of doing it for the first time, they don't have the skill set to have already nailed it, right? Yeah, I think there's a difference between imposter syndrome and whatever that is, which we can kind Mm. of dive into because I think a lot of us relate to that, but it's that feeling of like Mm -hmm. that uncomfortableness of not being ready for something because it's new to you. Um, But Mm -hmm. imposter syndrome, this idea of like no matter how much of an expert or how much knowledge or accomplishments you have, you don't feel like you belong. Ah, the belonging piece is interesting here. Yeah. Right. What do you mean by that when you say you feel like you don't belong? I I guess for me, like immediately I go to like, I don't deserve a spot at the table. There's someone more deserving than me. I'm not the, the best choice for this. I have to prove my worth. And yeah, that, that's what I mean by belonging. Like, if they were to like levels of success, wherever I am, I don't deserve to be there. I should be a couple rings down and someone else should be. Gotcha. Okay. And how does that play out for you? It really shows its head in. This is a complicated question for me because I Mm. turn my anxiety of imposter syndrome into excitement which is less damaging i think to my my mental health 
but it still can be a problem because it's it's that sense of urgency driving me to do things right it's that proving something it's okay if i don't think i'm worthy then i need to become worthy. like i need to work towards that and mm. a lot of people might consider that perfectionism or you know an expert kind of complex but the idea comes down to for me like i I'm not going to sit around and let people have an opinion of me. I'm going to prove, I'm going to prove it instead of mm. like, and I'm going to feel the imposter syndrome. Like I feel like I don't belong there, but if I can at least prove it to others, then it'll be okay. Yeah. But I don't even know if that's imposter syndrome because you, we were talking a little bit off, off air, right? What was the one quote you were mentioning before? Oh, the Adam Grant one? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I saw this on his Instagram the other day and it was so good. Um, feeling like an imposter doesn't mean you think you're a fraud. It means you think others are overestimating you, mm. right? So there's a big difference there. It's And that really relates to what you were saying, that it's not, I mean, I'm assuming that you don't necessarily, like you haven't been fraudulent at all about how you've presented yourself. You haven't lied on your resume. You've got your seat at the table by honest means. But the fear is that once you get going, people are going to go, oh, we've made a terrible mistake here. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's, man, now I'm having some, some new thoughts. But when we were talking about this, I kind of interpreted that as the imbalance of everyone else's opinion of you compared to your own and that it just doesn't Mm. fit. So if my opinion of myself is less than other people's opinion of me and I'm given this feedback that other people are like, wow, you're so great or this is perfect or I'm getting, you know, whether it be you get jobs or you get opportunities that don't fit your own self-worth, your own opinion of yourself, it feels like you're hiding stuff from the world. Like the world doesn't know your faults and that you're a failure there. I think what's interesting for me, now that I'm like breaking this down in my head, is it's really my memory's recollection of times that I started to falter. So like it would be times that I masked to get positions or like I interviewed really well or I would get jobs. And then after a while, I couldn't hang with it because I lost that activation. I was showing up late. I couldn't keep stuff organized and I would lose jobs or I would have, I would quit before getting fired or I'd get fired or, and it's that memory, those memories that like, I think become these core stories that we tell ourselves. And that's what's hard is like, I have to stay activated or that's going to happen again. And I have to constantly prove myself or else Mm. if I stop and I let it go, then I'm, people are going to be like, wow, he ain't worth shit. And it'll be gone. Yeah. Wow, that's so interesting. So there were two things I heard there. 
I mean, other than just how amazing and insightful and reflective you are. Oh, Ron. stop, Liz. That's what causes uh, imposter syndrome. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. First of all, there's a feeling that your performance and yeah. your achievements and people's perceptions of you bear no resemblance to how you are feeling and thinking on the inside to your own self-perception, mm -hmm. right? And that is really interesting because, well, especially for people with ADHD, we put so much focus on controlling the external, mm -hmm. right? Am I being like achieving more, being more productive, really trying to influence how other people see us, but not a lot of time working on ourselves and how we see ourselves. So as you become more successful, there's a bigger disconnect there between how you feel about yourself and what's happening on the outside and, and how people perceive you. Does that make sense? I think you just blew my mind. Let me just let me just rephrase here. So so you're saying that the the more successful you get, the farther you are away from your original perceived opinion of yourself. And so we're so concerned with controlling the results and climbing the ladder or like being successful. And we yeah. aren't working on our own self assessment of ourselves, our own self-reflection. Mm. And so we're just yeah. separating more and more from the self. And of course, these moments that I'm referring to, like now that I'm like mm -hmm. flipping it back to my own story that I just told is like, these moments I'm referring to are in the past. And yeah. me when I was in my early 20s or late teens, like we're talking 20 years ago. And so yeah. that story has just taken a stronghold in my head of being yeah. the real, of being the thing. And the more I grow, like that part of me still ends up being a story. And so we on the outside are growing and we're doing things and we're succeeding and we're learning, but the inside isn't doing any of the growing. And so we're mm. just like yeah. pulling away. Fuck. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm doing. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's just a hypothesis, but... I don't know. Here's Liz. where I it think, tracks. I think we yeah. should just go ahead and put it as okay, facts. Okay. Everyone else can yeah. just no. Yeah, obviously. Totally. <laughs> but here's how it tracks for me, because and again, we're distinguishing genuine imposter syndrome here from like people just having no business <laughs> doing things. Well, it's not even no business too, but yeah. Like even when we yeah. do get opportunities, right? And we take a step, yeah. we take like this courageous opportunity that's like a little out of our comfort zone we still feel the same way so I think we can label totally. it as that but it is different than this go ahead yeah yeah it tracks for me because we see imposter syndrome and sometimes even more in people who are really objectively accomplished mm -hmm. like achieving huge professional and personal success and they'll come to us as coaches and present with all this self-doubt and fear. And, and it seems that it, it can really grow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and perhaps that's because imposter syndrome resides in that gap between self-perception and 
external success. Yeah, maybe it's it's maybe not even external success, but I think it is that feedback, right? So mm. external successes can also be related to what other people think of us or what other people view gotcha. us as, right? I also was, I was telling my group the other day, which is perfect because we were talking about, we talked about this last episode, doing a elevator pitch for ourselves because mm -hmm. I was like, we haven't done that in a while. And we just talked about that in the last episode. So we brought it up again and we're going to be doing it this week. So everybody's excited for it, but it's a really awesome. great way to combat these negative stories, not by like erasing them or telling ourselves that they don't exist because they do exist. They did happen at one point, right? That's invalidating mm -hmm. yourself. It's by adding more positive stories and more positive affirmations and more things about yourself and getting more comfortable, you know, with that. And I, I sit here think and think about how my imposter syndrome over the past couple of years has been much more manageable than it was a few years ago. And I'm like, Oh, it makes sense that I'm doing all of this growth or this work on myself. And wow, the imposters, that gap has like, closed up a little bit. So that's really fun. I love that. Yeah. I love that. So it's about not completely saying that those, I mean, that they're not real yeah. in the past, that they're not real. I'm, I'm looking for a better word for failure. Yeah, I don't know. But like but, times that we, the things that we judge ourselves for, right? Or I've said things to people that weren't kind and later felt bad about it. And to me, that is enough to say I am not kind. I'm not a hundred percent kind, and that sucks. Everybody, Ron, Ron has flaws. It's fucked up. Ron. But I think that all of us do that, right? Is we like judge mm -hmm. ourselves based on our entire lives, and mm -hmm. and if we've grown at all, we we don't like take that into account either. Gotcha. Yeah, totally. And what I also thought was really interesting about what you said. Wait, wait, wait way back is that there's been times in your life where this feeling of I'm not prepared, I shouldn't be here, it's it's almost been sort of adaptive for you because you're thinking of times when you haven't read the room or you've made a social blunder or you've missed a deadline or you've, I don't know, something that's been costly to you and have having that narrative of imposter syndrome play in your head has been a little bit protective. Like it's, it's activated you. Mm. It's, it's got you going. That's fine. And we can accept that. But then there's also value in going, how is this serving me? Do I need this anymore? Is this helpful anymore? So you're saying that imposter syndrome is a coping mechanism for us to activate us. Basically it's a stress response. And it's a way for us to not fuck up again. It's like, you fucked up before. We have to remember this and hold it as like a shield to, to make sure that we don't let this slip through the cracks again. Whatever happened in the past, we don't screw that up. Yeah. Again, hypothesis. Discuss. <laughs> but, you know, no, yeah. yeah. But like it... Yeah, in the same way that people with ADHD often feel like they need urgency or crisis to activate, right, to, to get the prefrontal cortex juiced up and going. 
that has been something that's worked for them. But we, we interpret that as I actually need that to get anything done. Maybe people have used this disconnect and, and the fear and self-doubt to activate, to get them going, right? How many times do you have clients come to you that are unwilling to let go of their negative coping mechanism of stress and anxiety? Uh, yeah. And, and it's, it becomes this like security blanket. And the thing that I've seen, and especially myself, I don't know about you, but that that loses its effectiveness over time. And it has diminishing returns after a while where you're just like, mm-hmm. I have to stress myself out more to get the same. It's almost like a drug, right? It's I need more of it. I need to really shit on myself to get myself to do this thing. I need to really stress myself out in order to get motivated. Yeah. And it's, it is, it's an addiction to this coping mechanism and there are other ways to deal with it. Easier said than done, yeah. Ron. I know Ron. Anyway. <laughs> oh, look at you like externalizing all the voices mm. in your head. Yeah, well, at so least many. two of them, yeah, no. at least two of them. Listen, yeah. You've only met, you've only met like half. It's fine. Yeah. Oh, well, I love, I love all of them. Yeah. Most of them. Me too. I was listening to uh, a neuroscientist who specializes in high performance, mm-hmm. like people who uh, people who have to perform in really high stakes situations and their relationship with perfectionism and, and choking and how that plays out for them. And one of the things she said that was really interesting is that it's People think that as they become more accomplished, as they have more notches on their belt, as they've done the thing, played the sport, spoken in front of people, done the surgery, that they will feel the nerves, the anxiety, the self-doubt, that they'll feel it less. But what she actually found in her research is that people actually experience it more, right? And... What she does when she works with high performers is encourages them to accept that discomfort, accept that discomfort as part of the process, and then work to calm their nervous system so that the muscle memory can kick in. Mm. That feeling of, okay, you know what to do, you've done this before, that comes into play. But it can only happen when you quieten the, the stress response which is kind of the opposite to what we as people with ADHD think, or we're probably not explicit about this in our thought process, right? We think that we need that stress, that that it's meaningful and useful, mm-hmm. and that we rely on that to activate. I think because there's there's some of us that, and it's true, right? How, how often we say, oh, I'm so good in a crisis, but it's very yeah. specific. It's a specific type of crisis because I can shut the fuck down from overwhelm, right? It's mm-hmm. it's like that that pu- that perfect spot where everything gets quiet and I'm calm and I feel like I can handle things. But it's not a guarantee. It's not all the time. And I think we feel that those moments and then go, oh, I need to be stressed out. And it doesn't it doesn't yeah. work that way. <laughs> yeah. Well it's like the misfiring of the limbic system, like that emotional part of the brain, the stress 
response part of the brain that's telling us, you know, a lion's chasing us, act accordingly, but like we're actually trying to send a fucking email. <laughs> Think about it this way too, right? We have, we're like, you've heard this idea that ADHDers just have a different brain and we, that we weren't given the instruction manual for, right? Mm-hmm. The things that activate a brain are interest, challenge, and urgency. If you grew up not having the instruction manual to your brain, and all you realized was, wow, I really have no problem activating with things I enjoy or mm. things that I find challenging. But what about the things that I don't enjoy and don't find challenging? The only thing that seems to work is making me feel like the world's going to end if I don't do it. And that yeah. ends up being the one thing we know to make the cargo, right? Like that's that's the on button. And... Yeah, we've learned there's different ways to turn the on button on. It's a uh-huh. it takes a little bit more work. You can start to take off the the sense of urgency thing, and to go back to imposter syndrome, like it's it is probably again hypothesis, Liz. It is probably our brain like trying to stress the importance of what's happening. Or at least partially. Yeah. Yeah. Like, don't so fuck true. this up. You don't deserve to be. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it wants you to prove it. Like, your brain wants you to prove it wrong. And after yeah. a while, you're just too scared to. You're like, no, you're right. You start agreeing with it instead of in spite of. Yeah. yeah. So, so, Ron, going back again to how imposter syndrome has played out for you, what do you see for yourself and for others as signs that imposter syndrome is at play? There's, I think negative self-talk comes out. It's, it's the things, you know, as verbal processors, we have a tell where we just say the things we're thinking without realizing. So when you start to hear people saying things like, oh, I'm not very good at this, or I really suck at this, or any of those types of sentences, I think that's a big tell. I think... We, you mentioned the perfectionism thing, the needing to, to be valid, the needing to be legitimate. That was what I'm looking for, right? So you start to find people like overdoing the amount of classes and certifications they get. They start to obsess over making sure they have enough knowledge before doing anything, yeah, right? Yeah, that's my... It's like, my I'm not thing. ready yeah. to go yet until I know more about the... Like, I'm not going to speak on this until I know more about it than everyone on the planet. <laughs> like, And even then, I'm, I'm going to find a reason that I need more training or I need more of this or I need more credentials or whatever. Give me your bout with imposter syndrome. Well... I might need your help to work through this, Ron, because when people talk about imposter syndrome, it's never really gelled with me, like from my own personal experience, because I have always felt that that feeling of, oh, you don't belong here or you're not qualified enough or some, some variation of that has been either a sign that I'm stretching myself, that I'm, I'm trying something new or a sign that 
oh, actually, I do probably need to level up my skill set or my knowledge. I know, I'm just like walking straight into this, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, okay, so I think about last year when I spoke at the ADHD conference in Texas, the conference that you were just at that I missed. Yeah. I put in at the last minute an abstract on a topic that I really cared about, that I found really interesting, and then it got selected and I was so excited, like just, you know, so chuffed and then quickly followed by, oh, my God, how the, how am I going to do this? This is going to be a disaster. They're going to realise, like, it must have been a mistake. Why did they pick my talk? Mm. And just went into hardcore research mode. Like if I'm going to be talking to people about this topic, which I kind of just made up, made up based on like, you know, some, some well, pretty is... solid touch points, okay. right? Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Then I, if I'm going to stand in front of people and be the expert on this topic, I better be a fucking expert, you know? So... I spent six months researching, writing, collecting a dossier of uh, information on this topic and it really got in my way because it took me ages to actually start formulating the presentation and writing, but I got really stuck in that, yeah, that expert mode in the perfectionism. So on one hand, I sort of think, well, I've never done that before. I'd never sp spoken on that kind of stage about something that I really care about. So maybe it's appropriate for me to have this fear and self-doubt. But then on the other hand, I, I really overdid it and burnt myself out. And, and to be honest, put my attention in the, in the wrong spots or, or didn't know when to shift my attention to the next phase of the project. What say you, Ron? Man, um, <laughs> I relate to this a lot, and I want to know your opinion on this for you. But you said, I submitted a topic on something I made up. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I think I get it. Why is that an opinion you had of, of what you did? Well, that makes it sound like I had this really original and unique idea. But what I mean is, is that I presented on a topic that wasn't being discussed that much in, in that way. Yeah. And so there wasn't a lot of research specific to that area. So I was sort of getting research from adjacent fields. And I got really excited about this idea. I really believed in it. And then and then I thought, oh, my God, have I just totally pulled this out of my ass and it doesn't make sense at all? And so then I had to go about defending my position. like To yourself? Defending, uh, yeah, first to myself so that then I felt comfortable standing in front of people and defending it to them. Oh, so you were making up the fact that you had to defend it to people because it was a new – and by new I mean you took – things from other areas and kind of gave your perspective on them. Totally. Like nothing's new, right? Everything's right. derivative. But, yeah. but I mean, that's yeah. what most of the talks are. Besides people that yeah. are researchers, right? That are like, hey, this is yes. a brand new thing that I fucking, like most of us are giving 
information and experience and tying it together to show a different perspective that people need to hear. And it does feel unsafe. Like I, I was going to mm. relate to that. It feels very unsafe when you, I think about this when I make a TikTok that I'm like, Hey, I noticed this and this is something. And I find that blah, 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 blah. And I try not to make it generalized. I try not to say like, Hey, everyone experiences this, but I'm always afraid that my take on something is going to be perceived as wrong or even though I feel strongly about it, that people are going to be like, no, you're full of it, blah, blah, blah. And so I have to like have this research and and stuff behind it. But that's exactly what you said in the, like you kind of answered it for you in the beginning. You were like, (laughs) well, I guess it's me being uncomfortable about like not having enough information. So I had to research it and become an expert on it. And it's like, (laughs) Because how often do we throughout our lives have this perspective on something and someone questions it and we don't have an answer back because we're like, oh, I was just Mm -hmm. saying what came into my head and I thought this was really insightful. And then someone's like, can you prove that? And you're like, ah, I can't. I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah. Like every conversation we have with someone is some academic hothouse where our ideas are going to (laughs) be comprehensively challenged. Yeah, Yeah. but that is... Life doesn't work like that. That's fucking imposter syndrome. It's like, who are you? Damn it. I mean, if how many times have I said, like, who am I to do this? Or who am I to say this? Or who am I to speak on this? Or who am I to be a part of this social media panel when I'm struggling to make content on social media right who am i to be a part of this men's adhd support group when i'm myself am learning and growing and trying to be better and not and don't think i'm good enough yet right like who am i and that's how i felt too so and that is a really good example both of those are really good examples of us undervaluing the resource of our own perspective. You might think that you're only able to speak on a social media panel if you've got 2 million followers and you've conquered all of your fear and self-doubt around social media. No, like it's still valid if you're on the journey and you're a little bit ahead of other, like a lot ahead of most people actually, because you're speaking to your experience of having fear and self-doubt of putting yourself out there. That in itself qualifies you to talk about it. I think if you replaced man and like social media with the things that you were dealing with, you could say the exact same thing to yourself. One hundred. Yeah. So, okay. These are, we're obviously dealing with imposter syndrome, but like, how do you get through it? How do you persevere? How do you make Mm -hmm. it a little less of a pain in the ass? First of all, I guess not judging those thoughts and feelings. Mm. It's a very natural thing to experience. Calming the nervous system is always a good start, right? Like when you notice those feelings come up rather than just pinging straight into an action to uh, get away from that feeling or prove the imposter syndrome wrong, okay, actually just get quiet and pause and do a bit more of a realistic Mm self-assessment of your abilities. Are there gaps in my knowledge or skills? Am I just doing something for the first time? Am I a beginner? Mm -hmm. Could it just be true that I've never done this before, but I have done things that are like this before 
and I have skills and experience that I can bring to this situation, are they worthwhile? What do you think? I think it depends on the person, but a lot to what you're saying. I think separating your thoughts from your feelings is really important. I think in almost everything that we talk about, separating your thoughts from your feelings is important. We have this desire to, when we feel uncomfortable, to find and point fingers at the thing that's making us feel uncomfortable and try to fix it. Ultimately, when you feel uncomfortable, you should focus on the feeling and find where that is. Come up with some ways to make that feeling a little less intense and uncomfortable, right? It's a lot easier to deal with your intrusive thoughts when you are a little bit more calm. When you feel uncomfortable in a new situation or you're putting pressure on yourself for something, that's just your way of stressing yourself out to make sure you know that it's it's there and it's important. Sometimes even being aware of that and being like, oh, this is why I'm doing that can be helpful, right? You can do things scared. When I'm scared, I can still do things and that's okay. You and I are sitting here able to look at each other and say the exact same thing that we need to hear to each other. Trying to remind ourselves that that's the case, that we're all kind of doing this shit scared is, is important. That's why I think it's so big that we share these kind of moments. This fact that like, I'm don't have my shit together. I'm nervous as hell to do things all the time, but I still do them because yeah. I know growing up, I was like, Oh, once I'm an adult, I'll have it all figured out because they seemingly have it all figured out. They never admit they don't know what they're doing. And, yeah. and that's why I think it's really important to be able to do that and share that with people because hear that you're struggling and I look up to you for a lot of things, it does make me feel less alone, right? It makes me feel like, okay, Liz isn't perfect as much as she might look it. <laughs> yeah. So well, so, yeah. it normalizes it, doesn't yeah, it? Right? Yeah. Like and and that's so true because I think that we have this idea. Because if if people don't talk about how they feel fear and they do the thing anyway, then we have this assumption that People who do things don't have that fear. People who try things, people who achieve things, they don't live with that. Naturally, you take that a step further to mean if I'm feeling this fear, it must be true. Like it it must be right. something I need to really pay attention when to. When you connect the fear to your thoughts, you start going, yeah, this is telling me the truth now. This is my intuition, yeah. right? How often do we think that that's, oh, I know I'm going to screw this up. Yeah. Word. Good shit, Liz. Awesome, Ron. Hey, thank you so much for sharing your experiences with me and everyone else today, Ron. Uh, you too. I'm glad we uncovered that what you said wasn't imposter syndrome was imposter syndrome. <laughs> well, <laughs> well done. Yeah. Gold medal to Nailed Ron it. for the gotcha moment. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Ron, I feel like you're going to do this better this week because you've had a practice last week. Tell people what to do, please. Okay. So first off, <laughs> thank you so much for listening and getting this far on our lovely conversation today. If you would like to share, like, download our podcast, tell all your friends about it, we won't mind. In fact, we'll be so happy if you do that. 
You can check us out on Instagram at I Forgot Pod, and you can visit us on our website at I Forgot to Tell You.com. And now it. Yeah, just, you know, check us out. Feel free to message us with any questions or things that you want to hear us talk about. You can check out what Liz is doing. Liz, what's your website? LizWelshman.com. Awesome. And you can see, <laughs> see what I'm doing at ADHDCoachRon.com. But you're probably better off going to my Instagram where I'm constantly changing all the things I'm doing. So you can do visit me at ADHD underscore Ron. Beautiful. And Ron, maybe we should pop something up on our Instagram about this episode. And if people could go to our Instagram and share their experiences Ooh, with imposter syndrome. I love that. What say you? Yeah, yeah, we should let's let's really show the community that it is totally normal to be scared out of your fucking mind to do things. Yeah. And that was our content meeting for the week. Ding ding, <laughs> nailed it. All right. Thanks for thanks for joining us, y'all. See ya. <laughs>